93.9 The Eagle, broadcasting live from the Zimmer Radio Group World Headquarters. This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry. This city is my city, and I love it, yeah, I love it. Get ready for interviews with movers and shakers from our community as we dive in for a deeper look inside Columbia. Now, here's your host, Fred Perry. And welcome to the CEO Roundtable Show. Fred Perry, your host this week, and glad that you have tuned in. Uh, very pleased to welcome one of my favorite guests and uh, someone that I try to have on a few times uh, a year, uh, Mike Murphy, who is the publisher of Como Buzz at C-O-M-O-B-U-Z uh, dot com. And uh, that is an online digital format magazine that, uh, to be honest, it's the only form of probably real journalism that is left in our community. And that is a shame because when you don't have media watchdogs uh, working in your community, it allows your elected officials and other uh, public agencies and all kinds of things to really just uh, forget about accountability and uh, Katie bar the door. Uh, but Micah, great to have you on and congratulations on the good work that you're doing with Como Buzz. Thanks. Good morning. I um, uh one of the things that you have been talking about that that sort of piqued my curiosity a couple of weeks ago, and that is this idea of a hundred bed homeless shelter that's going to be built on, I think what some people would call a historic piece of property, though it sits next to the city's power plant and and uh, not exactly the prettiest part of our community. It is across from a very historic estate. Uh, the Banks family estate uh, is there across the street, but. But I, um, this whole concept of the hundred bed, uh, homeless shelter is sort of, uh, well, it just, it's curious to me because I, um, for, for a number of reasons, but you reported on it a few weeks ago. And, and do you mind giving our listeners just kind of a, uh, this may be the first time that a lot of our listeners are hearing about this planned 100 bed homeless shelter in Columbia, Missouri. Um, tell us what you know about it at this point. Well, it kind of began with, so people are well aware of this homeless issue that we have. You can We can argue about the magnitude of it, but it certainly has been high profile over the last several years. It seems to come up really big during the heat of the summer or the cold of the winter. But there's, this, there's two separate things going on, largely. There's a homeless issue with people, you know, laying in the sidewalks downtown that's causing a lot of... Mm-hmm. But there's also uh, several, a handful of nonprofits in town that provide a safety net for about somewhere, let's call it 250 at any given time, other people that find themselves homeless for one reason or another. And they provide a, a good safety net for those people. They, they, they feed homeless. They place people in emergency shelters. Um, they provide a lot of services that are, are needed. The homeless shelter what we have today that exists mostly as one is down around Wilkes Boulevard Church mm-hmm. in the downtown area. And that's called the Turning Point. Correct. Formerly uh, Wilkes Methodist United Church. Correct. Yeah. So that's a burden on that neighborhood, a burden on that church, and the church doesn't really feel like they can continue to do what they're doing forever. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the driving uh, force behind the church and then the several people that work in and around there. They're called things like Loaves and Fishes, uh, Room at the Inn, Love Columbia, Turning Point. 
they provide uh, all these catch-all services in, in a sort of random collective way. And this new homeless services center, they're call, calling it the, uh, the uh, Opportunity Campus, is a place to consolidate all of that business into one location, along with several other things like mental health services, dental services, health services, uh, all kinds of things that people uh, who find themselves in this emergency situation uh, could utilize. So it's some, and it's it started out to be like an eleven million dollar facility. Then it was a fifteen million dollar facility. Now, uh, Randy Cole and the Columbia Housing Authority did a study for the city to put together exactly what we're looking at, and he's come up with basically an $18 million facility to construct. They'd like to get that done in the next, uh, uh, right away in the next year. They have a certain amount of funding lined up. They have $6 million from the uh, state of Missouri lined up. They're asking for $3 million each from the city and the county to build it. And then ongoing support for what they're talking now is about a million and a half a year afterwards to run it. Uh, that project is moving along fairly quickly it's generating some controversy because the people in this network of nonprofits are very anxious to do this and very enthusiastic to do it and, and homeless type advocates would like to see this done and there's a lot of advocacy and political pressure that comes from them mm -hmm. there's also another contingent or other people around town though are really questioning number one if we want to build a facility like that put that type make that type of an investment uh Who's going to run it afterwards? The voluntary. This seems to be all centering around the people organizing are this voluntary action center, which is another nonprofit. This would be a massive step up in uh, what they have done in the past. So there's questions if they could run something like this. And then there's a big question uh, that I've seen no data on, and I don't know how to get on one side or the other of it is this idea that if you build it, they will come. Mm -hmm. So if you build a big old facility like this, it's, let's call it, if we want to get talk like, you know, like like we might on the street, a fancy hotel for homeless people, mm -hmm. the next thing you know, you're going to have a lot more homeless people than yeah. So well, we could call happening. it, uh, I mean, we, there's so many wrinkles to this story, but, you know, we could call it the museum. Uh, that was a, <laughs> a very popular concept uh, 20 years ago that a lot of community members thought, well, if you build it, they'll come, and, and nobody came, and, and so a lot of uh, public money and, and private money was wasted, but you know, there's 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 a, a couple of interesting components of this story, and one is is that I don't think we should confuse the panhandlers that we see on nearly every single intersection in Columbia, every single major intersection, uh, as, as homeless. I am told by local authorities, law enforcement authorities, that many of those panhandlers are not homeless people. Yeah, this is just sort of a gig for them. You Cor know? Correct. Right. You, you, there needs to be a big distinction. This is not particularly arguable. This is generally accepted that... Uh, panhandlers should not be confused at all with homeless. Yes. Uh, I like to think of panhandlers as the, the millionaire barber who lives next door. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who, who knows? Right. Who knows now that's really unfair to yeah. some poor people. <laughs> but, yeah. but I get know, it. Uh, yeah. yeah. But you know, and I, I consider myself to be a compassionate conservative and I uh, spent eight years serving on the housing authority board as a commissioner. Uh, I spent uh, eight years serving as on the, on the food bank board. So I, I feel like I have, have somewhat of an understanding and an empathy for poverty in our community. But this is a completely different issue. And I think a lot of people equate the homeless issue 
uh, with it being a housing issue. And so this really is not a housing issue. Uh, I think that, and, and this is something that, um, uh, I want, I really want to encourage you and I, uh, chatted about this a few weeks ago, but I really want to encourage as many of our listeners as we can to, to spend 45 minutes this weekend watching a documentary that was, uh, uh, created by the ABC affiliate in Seattle and and the documentary is called Seattle is dying. And I think it gives you a great glimpse into what happens uh when uh a homeless population starts to overtake a city and uh you can't you don't have prosecutors like like we have in Bering County that will that will not enforce uh panhandling that will not enforce uh minor drug issues will not uh enforce uh you know charges associated with um I'm trying to think of the word that when you hang out on someone's parking lot too long, uh, but trespassing and, and other issues. And, and, um, so I would encourage people to watch that documentary. Seattle is dying, but, and the documentary makes a pretty good case. And I had this confirmed by law enforcement here locally. You know, what percentage of our local homeless, homeless population also has a substance abuse problem. Well, what percentage of homeless people in our community have a substance abuse problem? The answer in Seattle was 100%. Uh, that's what Seattle cops would tell you. The answer in Columbia, Missouri is 100%. And so in some respect, we don't really have a housing problem. Uh, but like Seattle, we have a drug problem. We have a substance abuse problem. And I don't really see enough, uh, enough parts of this proposal that really address that issue. And uh, apparently about half of the homeless population also is challenged by some type of mental health issue. Yeah, more than half, I would think. The mental health aspect is a huge part of it. Here's how it kind of boils down to me, and I'm still gaining knowledge about this, but it it looks like this to me. um, If there's 250 people in in need at any given time, 240 of them are falling in a safety net that currently exists and does a really good job thanks to some really good efforts by these nonprofits. By Turning Point, especially. Yeah. Now, if we can put them, if we can help them better their circumstances and put them in a better situation, I I think we should all be for that. But the people who are getting all the attention are the other 10 people who are making a lifestyle decision to live outside and don't necessarily want to be helped and probably have mental health and substance abuse issues. Those are the people living, causing the trouble downtown and really getting all of the attention. And if they're not going to reach out for help, and they actually pretty much resist help much of the time, an $18 million facility and a million and a half a year to run something out there is really going to do very little to address that problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, where do you get your number 250 homeless people? So the so I dig in city stuff. Yeah. Okay. So thank goodness. Yeah. So um, uh, last winter, when there was a big blow up about people freezing on the street, you know, and they had a big emotional city council meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, housing and in, in, in human development. There's a, a guy there named Steve Hollis who works. He's been there a long time. He he has kept data, and he has he used to write. I don't know if it was an annual report, but a, a, a regular report, uh, they do actual physical counts and they have other means to gather this data and they classify them, they explain them. There's a lot of, uh, 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 I don't want to say science, but th- th- this data is kept carefully and there are analytics on the problem that are uh, uh, reliable. 
it, he also has data on how much the city spends, which is a lot. And they get accused of being heartless and they won't do anything about anything. But the fact of the matter is over uh, the, the problem with quantifying this is the city has a fiscal year that starts in October. The nonprofits have a fiscal year that runs calendar year. But over something like an 18 month period, the city's given a million dollars, just under a million dollars to these nonprofits to help these people. And it's all pretty much documented. He prepared a, he updated this report and prepared it to present to the city council. And uh, so it popped up for a while before somebody else saw it and decided they didn't want this information necessarily public for a variety of reasons because mm-hmm. part of it was going to fuel the argument in, in, in ways that they didn't want it uh, fueled. But I have it. I got that, I got a hold of it. You know, that sounds like a smoking gun to me. That That's a red flag. You know, that is something that, uh, okay, what is this, what's the real story behind that? Uh, the other thing that, that Mike, frankly, makes me nervous, and you have reported on this, but uh, there's a gentleman that, that uh, I believe is the executive director of the uh, Voluntary Action Center, and he is going to be heading up this Opportunity Campus effort, but uh, I believe his name is Ed Stansbury. But based on your reporting, he certainly has not been very forthcoming with information, not very transparent uh, with with that, and, and here's why I'm concerned. Uh, a lot of money is given to the Voluntary Action Center from from individuals in this community. Uh, the City of Columbia taxpayers just gave a million dollars. Taxpayers give eleven million dollars every single year to the Children's Services Fund in this community, which is you know hopefully addressing some of the mental health issues. Uh, the United Way raises three million dollars a year, and then you take all other you know fifty seven. Uh, not-for-profit social service agencies that are collecting money directly through fundraisers and from... Pri- I mean, we are spending tens of millions of dollars on the social problems in our community that frankly are not going away. If you were a private company and you were being rewarded or paid for results, uh, you would have no money because people would stop giving to you. And so um, I don't understand the secrecy. Give, give me your perspective on that. Well, I think they're trying to, uh, to be just be brutally frank, they're trying to ramrod it through and get it done before the greater community can weigh in on it. Um, they stonewalled me uh, for, they, they would not cooperate with doing a story. Neither newspaper had a story. I finally, uh, and I, you know, I think Randy Cole is a good guy and an honorable guy trying to do the best he can. They wouldn't even let me come to some of their meetings. Um, even so, though these are public dollars but, correct. being spent, uh, you're not welcome to come to the meetings. Correct. So that's, I, that's the problem. So I had to tell them, well, then, you know, if having an adversarial relationship with, you know, my media is your choice, not mine, but you not cooperating is not going to keep me from doing the story. So it took me about six weeks, but finally I found some documentation of a grant application that they had submitted to the, to the city that was going to go to, to HUD. And it had a lot of information in it. And it's, then I filed a few more documents and finally got to the land purchase and was able to pull it all together. And bragging a little bit about Como Buzz, you know, I broke the story that this was all happening for the first time. And you reported that the land has been purchased by Betsy Peters, who is the Sixth Ward City Council person, and she plans to sell it back to this new entity. Correct. Um, we are visiting with Mike Murphy, who is the publisher of uh, Como Buzz, uh, C-O-M-O-B-U-Z dot com. And uh, I, uh, we're talking about this story about the proposed homeless shelter on Business Loop 70, a 100-bed facility that your tax dollars are going to be supporting. And when we come back for the break, we're going we're gonna to tell you a few more things about this that, that might raise your eyebrows and, and how you might maybe should get involved. This is Fred Perry. This is the CEO Roundtable on 93.9 The Eagle.
This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. And welcome back to the CEO Roundtable Show. Fred Perry, your host this weekend. We are visiting with Mike Murphy, who is the publisher of Como Buzz. It's an online magazine. And I would really encourage you you folks to, one, uh, take a look. Check it out. C-O-M-O-B-U-Z dot com. Um, and uh, certainly, if you have the ability to subscribe and want to support local journalism, this is one way to do it. And uh, it's a good way to do it. Um what, I want to just talk a little bit more about this proposed homeless shelter um, on on Business Loop. I, I think one of the the areas that I'm sort of struggling with. Uh, one, I, I wonder, are people really going to come? I, I, you know, I I have been told that when it gets really really cold, um, room at the end uh, maybe get sixteen or seventeen people uh, show up on average. Uh, there are more people at the Wabash bus station, uh, because there are no rules at the Wabash bus station. You don't have to be off drugs. You don't have to be sober. You don't have to have certain hygiene standards before you go into the Wabash station. And so there are more people in the Wabash station. And I understand it is chaos and the downtown merchants are trying to get it moved, uh, somewhere else. But, you know, I, I guess that the, the city is identifying three million dollars of the American rescue plan money that they got, uh, to uh, throw at this, I, supposedly, uh, though there has been no public meeting uh, about this, the county also is pledging, uh, at least one of the commissioners is pledging to give $3 million to the project uh, to match the city. Um, and, uh, but, you know, I worry about the American Rescue Plan money. I've said this before. This is one-time transformational money. This can really do something huge in our in our community. Um so a very prominent business person I was talking to this week is said this is reminiscent of the days when the hobos would ride the train through our communities. And when they would see a white chalk X in front of a home, they knew that that home would feed them or give them a place to sleep. And uh, what, the way he describes it is that Columbia now has a big white chalk X that hey, if you are homeless anywhere in America, there are services uh, and a high tolerance uh, for homelessness and the related behaviors uh, here in Columbia, Missouri. And so it, I think, as you said earlier, it's just going to draw more homeless people to our community. And, um, you know, when you think about the substance abuse problems, you think about the mental health problems. Do we have the infrastructure in our community to address the drug abuse, the substance abuse issues and the, uh, you know, the addiction and then the mental health issues? But, you know, we don't have mental health services to take care of our everyday uh, permanent residents. Uh, I, I got to be careful because I'm going to be called something that yeah. I'm not um, here. But uh, I, it's just to me, it's just a matter of logic. Here's here's what where I, I think you can land real easy. I think it's a, a difficult question and, and there's a lot there. And I think what's wrong is that we're not having a greater community discussion about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the people at uh, in this group and, and Randy, you know, they say, well, we've done a lot of community outreach on this. And, and I'm here to say, no, you have not. You have done it in your group of, of uh, nonprofits to find the best way that you all think you should do this. But I talked to person after person after person of the type of people who usually know what's going on in, in important things going on around town. And they're asking what's going on with this. Yeah. Thing? There's yeah. been, this should be a much wider uh, community discussion. Yeah. I agree. Um, I, I think, uh, 
there are so many issues uh, associated with this and, and I, I, there should be a much more public conversation, uh, especially when it comes to spending public dollars and, and, uh, how are we going to specifically address this problem? And, and I'll go back to this documentary, Seattle is dying that I hope people, uh, find on YouTube and watch it. Um, you know, it is, uh, it, it is a substance abuse issue. It is a mental health issue. And are we equipped? Uh, we can build a dormitory for homeless people, but are we equipped to really handle uh, the root causes of why people have chosen to be homeless? And so uh, I don't think that we have it. The, the other thing that surprises me, Mike, and this has not been reported for some reason, but I was watching the, the city council meeting and, and um, when I heard that Love Columbia was part of this, I felt a little relieved because I really trust them and, and, and I know that their method is really about helping, uh, giving, giving a, a man a, 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 bo- a hand up, uh, not a handout, uh, teaching a man to fish, uh, versus giving him a fish. And, and I, and I was really excited about that. But all of a sudden, Love Columbia is no longer involved. They've been pushed out of the equation. So it's now, you know, the city, Columbia Housing Authority, and the Voluntary Action Center. And so my level of confidence uh, really disintegrated when I found out that Love Columbia was no longer involved. Well, I can, I think that I wouldn't be alone in sharing some cons- uh, uh, concern about a level of confidence in how this thing is going to be run. Just mm-hmm. my own experience uh, uh, up to date, uh, uh, I have a lot of. Uh, concern, I guess, as a citizen, way beyond this idea of you build it, they may come. I'm not sure about that. But administering an operation like this is a pretty huge task. Mm-hmm. It takes talent, takes skill, uh, it takes experience. And um, uh, I guess we're going to hire that and bring that in, or somebody's going to do that. And I'm a little bit jaded because I spend so much time now around Columbia city government and I just can't help but see everywhere you look, uh, ineffective, dysfunctional, yeah. poor decisions, not running what we have. Uh, it just, you can't help but be concerned that we're going to add some type of massive service like this. And I think what you're, where you're going is we're not taking care of what we have and we really need some urgency in, in, in our, in mental health care in this town and, you know, maybe this is part of it. I, I don't really know. I just really feel like there should be a lot more community engagement than there is among this small group that's putting this together. Yeah. You know, I wish our elected officials would focus on uh, the priorities. Uh, I, we want to be a national model for homelessness. I get that. You know, we want to be a national model for uh, bike trails and, and that kind of stuff. And so um, we have decided that um, we are going to build a, a model for all communities in the in the united states to follow and uh we're, we're going to invent the wheel and you know it's very expensive to be the pioneer in this business and and you make mistakes and and so forth and so i think that somebody needs to reel in our elected officials and say you know what um we have much higher priorities uh it's not safe in my mind for me to be down after 8 p.m. with my children uh it's it's hazardous to drive a car down a lot of columbia streets and county roads uh you as elected officials have much higher priorities right now than trying to build something for people who are not and i'm going to say it and it's going to offend a lot of people you're trying to build something for people who are not tax-paying citizens okay and so um I just think our priorities are way out of whack. There, there's a real political divide that's that's happened, I suppose, gradually. But 
There was a day, I suspect even in Columbia, where if you're elected to local government, you're elected to city council, you're elected there and entrusted to go take care of our assets, to run our business, to keep our keep our streets in good shape, uh, take care of our infrastructure, keep us safe, uh, run our city business. Mm-hmm. But it's it's morphed where today the people that we're electing, and it's not a secret, we're putting them there, um, they're way more... Their, their, their priority is social justice. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they really, it, m- it might be a little unfair to say they don't care about these other things, about th- things that are really important, but it's certainly not their priority. So what you're seeing is, is the business of our city is really falling apart. Yeah. And, and it really is. Yeah. And, and there's, it's very, I'm laying down the documentation of that pretty much yeah, every week yeah, now. Yeah, and uh, people need to be paying attention. I think so. Yeah. Let, let me. I want to come back to uh, sort of the problems with the city's uh, utilities that uh, are sort of creating some major red flags. Uh, but I want to talk to a little bit something you report on. It's this this uh, d- delicate relationship between the city government and the county government, and you know for years uh, it it has not been good uh, for for whatever reason. Uh, I sort of thought at least during my time on the county commission that that we were really improving our relationships uh i felt like we had a great relationship with mike mathis with john glasscock uh with brian treese um and um but it you report on uh, on an issue that's really kind of interesting to me um about uh some proposed subdivisions that the county denied because there simply is not the infrastructure out there to support uh, a 400 home subdivision let alone two of them um talk about that story well right now i'm as a result of this i'm moving into this area of uh, city county relations and their inability to manage together and what is what is what is resulting and i'm actually hoping to turn it into a bit of a campaign issue with this presiding commissioner race that we have coming up but what took me a little bit by surprise was a couple of weeks ago um the county turned down a uh 350 lot subdivision on uh, richland road out by trade winds mm-hmm. yes and and uh, they just said no, and they said no because they had a traffic study, and it would more than double the traffic on Richland Road, and it would um, take it way above its rated capacity. This is out behind the Sunrise Estate subdivision. Correct, yeah. Correct. right beside it almost. Right. Yeah. And then uh, a week, less than a week later, the city's planning commission approved, which will go to the city council now, but unanimously approved an almost identical 350 lot subdivision just a half a mile down the road same road yeah yeah, yeah. exact mm-hmm. same problem exact yeah. same set of circumstances yeah. i'm saying whoa how, what what can be the difference here so i i've started talking with some county folks and uh, i'm actually working on that now and then i find well it's a way way bigger issue and it's got historic uh, tentacles and and there's all kinds of issues with the county and the city working together to develop these types of with these rows and these types of development issues. Yeah. You know, it, I think this goes back and it certainly mirrors a, another story that, that took place 15 years ago when the Columbia public school district said that they were going to build their next high school on St. Charles road. 
And the school district decided that, you know, kind of unilaterally. They didn't really consult with the city or the county or the state. Uh, they were, they got a, someone donated a big parcel of property to them. Uh, they got a great deal. Uh, the, the people were going to build a housing subdivision next to it. Uh, and so that was really all there was to the decision for the school district and the school board. Uh, no consideration given to the infrastructure surrounding that, uh, from utilities to uh, the roadways that service Battle High School. Uh, that prompted a very good collaborative effort called the East Area Plan uh, that was created. And my guess is that the area on Richland Road uh, would have been addressed in that East Area Plan. And I'm wondering if it was just completely ignored because the city and the county and the state and all the stakeholders in the area said, this is really where housing should go. This is where uh, arterial streets should go. This is, you know, uh, the type of uh, in- infrastructure we're going to need in this area. And it really was a nice, very unique long-term planning effort uh, for the city, the county, and the state. Well, um, but what happened as a result of Battle High School being built was that the county had to scramble to improve St. Charles Road, and this county didn't have the money to improve St. Charles Road. Uh, Dan Atwell was very successful at convincing the, the state of Missouri, this is before my time on the commission, Dan Atwell was very successful at convincing the state of Missouri to improve uh, Route Z and uh, the overpass and, and create a roundabout, which really took a, took care of a big part of that uh, that area. But it just seems like 15 years later, we're making the same stupid mistakes and, and why there is no communication. And, and was there a discussion with the Planning and Zoning Commission? Hey, is the county just turned this down or turned down a very similar effort? Does anyone know why they turned it down? Is anybody paying attention? You know? I don't think so. I, I know that the... Um Planning and Zoning Commission had the exact same traffic study in their packet. And there was just very little. I went to the meeting. There was just very little. There there was no concerns hardly at all voiced. It just, it, it flew through like hardly anything flies through the. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't think there's any impropriety there. I just think they have two different sets of standards and the developers know, you know, how to reach the city's set of standards to get their subdivisions approved. And, and they reached them. And uh, I don't know and I'm really anxious to find out what the core issue is with getting that road developed. I, I imagine it's over cost share. But what Dan Atwell is saying today is we have to do the road first or it's absolutely stupid because if we put the development in, it's gonna, number one, there's danger. And number two, it's going to cost way more to do it later. Yeah. So he's probably 100% correct, but now here comes the city and just throws a subdivision right on top of it. Yeah, this was a, a, an unimproved uh, gravel road a few years ago that just now has chip and uh, oh, seal on it. Yeah. There's no shoulder, no shoulder. on Richmond Road. And so, uh, and there's probably already too much traffic at too high a rate of well, speed. And, and then it affects people like on Grace Lane, where people oh, yeah. turn to go to the freeway. Those yep. people, they, they had a nice little area out there at one time. Yep. Now they've got two, three times as much traffic on their on the road than they did just a few years ago. You got it. That's Mike Murphy. He is the publisher of ComoBuzz.com. Uh, this is Fred Perry. We're visiting about city and county issues. We're going to be talking about the elections next. This is the CEO Roundtable on 93.9 The Eagle. This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. And welcome back to the CEO Roundtable. Fred Perry, your host this weekend. We are visiting with Mike Murphy, publisher of Como Buzz at C-O-M-O-B-U-Z dot com. And um, I really encourage you to check it out. And folks, uh, um, if you are just hearing uh, for the first time about the lack of communication between the city and the county or about this mental health center, um, 
uh, about this homeless uh, center that's being built in your community. It's because we no longer have journalism in our community. We no longer have newspaper reporting that are covering the issues that are really of vital importance to us. And, and so that's why we need uh, sort of these startup, uh, new form journalism uh, uh you know, vehicles like uh, Como Buzz to kind of keep us up to date. And, and if you're not reading it, you're, you're missing out. Uh, let's talk about the elections that are coming up, because uh, I, th- I think you sort of um, uh, y- you see the presiding race, the presiding commissioner race between Connie Leopard, the Republican, and Kip Kendrick, the Democrat, as really kind of a, an important race. And, and what do you think are the key issues there? Well, uh, there's such there's such different candidates. And what's interesting is I think they're both generally regarded as excellent candidates, which doesn't always happen. You know, Connie's been a very, very successful businesswoman. They built that construction business from a simple mom-and-pop drywall to a mm-hmm. pretty massive construction operation. She's uh, uh, she's very tuned into uh, the issues. She's working very hard now. She's not a campaign, and she's, she goes to all the commissioners' meetings. She knows. I think she'd be an excellent, excellent uh, presiding commissioner. Kip is a... Uh, and it's a fascinating contrast and and she's going to you know have to paint him she's probably an underdog right she's a republican running for boone, in boone county yeah office. so that's right so you know kip would be the favorite here and he's got very very he's got an excellent background very few if any blemishes on his record a lot four, of money four times elected to the yeah. uh, state house more money than he needs yep. uh the full support and enthusiasm of uh the local uh, the big d Dems, uh, and uh, he's also very moderate, so he has a cross appeal to you know Republicans. Uh, he's young, and this certainly uh, won't be his last stop. You wouldn't think uh, mm-hmm. in his career in, in in politics. In fact, his trajectory is uh, would be very high, I would think, and that's in a way what makes this such a compelling race because um, if he does win which I'm certain he would, you know, sort of kind of be favored to win as we speak. Uh, he, that, that trajectory is maintained. I mean, he's, he, who knows what he, he could serve for, uh, uh, six, eight, 10 years and still be in his forties. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so on the same hand, if he were to be beaten, it would, uh, really, uh, you know, alter, uh, a real rising star, I think, in, in, even in the state democratic yeah. part. I, I wonder, you say he's moderate. I, I have seen no evidence of that, but, <laughs> but I, I, I guess the, the straight, and I, this is partisan for me. You know, I'm, I'm going to support the Republican candidate, uh, usually regardless. I have supported Democratic presiding commissioners in the past and paid the price for it. But I, w- I will tell you that the thing that worries me about Kip Kendrick is maybe his amb- his personal ambition. He was reelected. He ran for election to state rep, got reelected. And within a couple of months, he resigned to take a better job in the Senate. OK, there's a lot of speculation that, that Kip has his eyes on the governor's race in 2024, because there really are no good Democrat candidates that are lining up for governor in the state of Missouri. And so a lot of people have said they really want Kip to be the next governor. Is he going to quit on the citizens of Boone County the way that he quit on the citizens of of his uh, his 45th district uh, when, when he had the chance? And. So, so I worry about that. And, um, you know, are we really seeing his true stripes here? Is this really what he wants to do or is this just a stepping stone for higher office? And so, um, something to think about. Well, certainly what Connie is going to, uh, that's how she's going to portray him. No I hope doubt. she does. Well, well, she she seems like she's too nice of a person no, to do that. No, she is definitely going to do it. I think okay, she's already she started. To. Yes. Okay. 
So furthermore, what she's going to say, I think, where she's going to be coming from is so many of these problems that exist between the city and the county, with the county in particular or with the city in particular, are because everybody working on them, the politicians, are their, their, their entire uh, landscape ends in two or three years. Nobody's taking a long-term look. Nobody's really working on solving these problems that need 10, 12, 15-year horizons. And she's going to make the case, I believe, that she's the exact right person for that. She's at end of career. She's totally committed. She's got 10 years to do nothing but give to solving some of these problems that historically haven't been solved, as opposed to her opponent, who she will paint exactly as you just described. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how much mileage she'll get out of that, because I think everything you said about Kip is exactly true, except, you know, Kip, he lined up by David Tyson Smith. Uh, I don't think he, 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 made, he, he, he made a smooth transition happen there. And my kind of take on that is the people who aren't going to vote for him anyway might emphasize that issue, but I don't think it's going to hurt him with the local Dems. I, I, right. I, you know, it's just... Oh, the local Dems are going to yeah. vote for him regardless. And you know what I mean? And there's uh, too many of them. Come hell or high water. And, you yeah, know, and, and, that's right. And, and, so, But, you know, there is a... Uh, maybe we'll find out in the next week or so, but w- as we get closer and closer to the midterm election, it looks like we're going to have a red wave. And I think that Connie could get a little bump out of that. Yep. Uh, Northern Boone County is, is more conservative than liberal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably... There's a lot of moderate Democrats up there that are more likely to vote for a Republican than a... Than a than a Democrat, uh, especially a liberal Democrat. Um, so Northern Boone County, you know, now I don't know what impact that really the redistricting doesn't impact this race because it's Boone County. Right. And so um, Southern Boone County is liberal, uh, primarily because of the fourth and, and uh, uh, first wards. Uh, but, you know, you're going to um, I, I don't know. I think if people see Connie's background, the fact that she was the national president of this women in construction organization, you know, she's got some amazing business experience. And, you know, the other thing, Mike, that I worry about, and again, this is partisan, but there are there are too many Democrats in county government. There is not enough balance. There is not enough people there asking the right questions. And I think that you need a Republican here and there uh, to ask the right questions because, you know, up until Dustin Stanton was appointed by the governor to be the treasurer, it was 100% Democrats. Up until I got elected as, as a county commissioner in 2016, it was 100% Democrats. There is not, a, we love diversity in our community until it comes to political diversity we don't like it so uh what are the other races that you're watching that you're interested in well the two state house races are both going to be uh pretty interesting because they're they've both been held they've been redistricted seriously they both were previously held by republicans and it looks very much like they could be flipped to democrats so in uh 47 that was chuck basie's district he had a lock hold on that yep uh now that's been totally reworked well, I shouldn't say totally. 50's been reworked worse. It's taken much of uh, Chuck's rural, you know, n- north, mm-hmm. uh, west, uh, Boone County, and, but it's combined it with very much of uh, western and central Columbia, including almost all of Columbia's fourth ward, which is hugely Democratic. Yeah. So, I'm well, there's no doubt that the Dems are totally planning on flipping that and think they have an excellent chance to yeah. flip it. I think both parties will pour a lot of money in there, and I think that'll be a, an excellent race. I guess we should, I should mention Adrian Plank won the primary. He he beat Shimin Schwak yep. by uh, uh, 48 votes or something like that. 
and he's facing the Republican businessman John Martin. Yeah, who is an excellent candidate. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean, yeah. and uh, and really could do great things in the state house. But uh, but they have gerrymandered those districts so much that it's probably going to be very difficult for a Republican to win. But if anybody can do it, I think John Martin is is the guy. I feel so. the same way, and I think that that race is uh, probably could be the more. Uh, intense of the two yeah. I, I think that's really a good race now yeah. in 50 where sarah walsh was and it included ashland and uh most of southern boone that got seriously cut up and it doesn't even include hardly any rural now it's almost entirely it's all boone county right yeah, it's almost all columbia yeah. oh, almost yeah. all yeah. the city of columbia right uh so uh now that is the uh uh, local civil rights attorney uh, Doug Mann. Mm-hmm. He's a young guy in a uh, a firebrand Democrat uh, against uh, Jim Musgraves is a retired uh, naval aviator. Mm-hmm. Ran for Northern District Commissioner yeah. a few years ago. I believe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now I think in that race, this is just a guess. I really don't know. I feel though like uh, like Doug has a Doug Mann has a better. Uh, like a leg up in that race. It would be more heavily favored in that race than, uh, for some reason, I think Adrian Plank will be in, in the other race. But, you know, I really don't know why I feel yeah. that way, and I probably shouldn't even say it. Well, but it just <laughs> feels like that that's going to, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure. Well, part of it is raising money. Okay? Yeah. So you oh, follow yeah. the money. Yeah. And uh, 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 John Martin's not going to have any trouble raising money, right. I think. Yep. Uh, I think Jim Musgraves is. Mm-hmm. So I hope not. Yeah, because I'd like to see that. Yeah. I'd like to see that be really competitive. Yeah. But that's kind of where I'm getting a feeling that, and Doug Mann's not going to have any trouble raising right. money. So mostly outside money. Um, yeah. The Sheree Rice race. Uh, she doesn't have a real serious challenge there, does she? No, I'm not even covering it. I can't even tell you what the name is of I her opponent. Rath. Uh, uh, Rath, Rathel, Doug, Rathel, R-A-T-H-A. Oh, David Rathel. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're very familiar with David Rathel. Um, so. I'm interested in some of these county races and we're running out of time here, but you know, there are, there are, there's a potential of electing four Republicans to county government. Uh, you have Dustin Stanton, uh, as, uh, Boone County treasurer running against Jenna Riedel, who is the county's HR director. Uh, any thoughts on that race? On paper, I don't see how Dustin can hold that. I okay. mean, you got to have a big red turnout. To me, it all comes to these numbers and, you know, Jenna's there no no marks on her. I mean, she's a professional. She's yeah. got a good record. Well, this guy's a small business. He was on the program last weekend. You know, he's a yeah. president of the Columbia Farmers Market, uh, which uh, liberals love. Uh, you know, he's pretty darn moderate when it comes mm-hmm. to conservatism and uh, uh, great business track record. So I don't don't count him out yet. Uh, the other uh, race is Jason Gibson against uh, Kyle Ryman, I mm-hmm. believe, in in for county auditor. Um, and Jason's been in that office for for many many years. So uh, same. Same problem though, you know, it's it's such a it, it always becomes this numbers game, and if uh, it, right from Kip Kendrick on down, and it, depending on that red wave that whether it does or doesn't turn out, yeah, it could easily go back to all Dems. Yeah, it, it just and it feels like it's going to take an upset for it. Now. Yeah, same thing. So we talked about Connie Leopard in the in the presiding commissioner seat, and then the fourth uh, one is uh, uh, Shaman Jones uh, in, for county recorder. Uh, versus, uh, is it Nolte? Is that his yeah, name? Yeah, Bob Nolte. Uh, Bob I Nolte. would think that, uh, she's, I, I would think she's up against a lot there. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, but you know, it, it, very rare opportunity to completely change the composition of county government. You know, and so, uh, but I, I can tell by the look on your face I can, <laughs> and your I, comments that I, I would it's say, a, it's a long, you think it's a long story. I would say that would occur to you, but it didn't occur to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Very good. Well, I'm just an optimist, I guess. Um, 
the uh, other thing that uh, well, we're running out of time, and we didn't even get a chance to talk about city utilities. We have one minute, and uh, this is like the biggest issue. I just want to drive people to your website, but tell people in 30 seconds, in a nutshell, what the issue is. Um, there's no guidance from 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 the politicians, from 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 the elected people, the uh, staff. People are really, really, really struggling. The citizens have given them uh, 60 million dollars to improve electric the electric grid. They've given them. $40 million to improve water. They haven't got half of it spent from 2016. They haven't got half of it spent from 2018 bonds that people authorized. Now they, now they, they can sell bonds if they want to because their financial condition is weakening such. There's, there's a real, real difficult time going on in utilities and who's going to lead us out of this is a big question. How we're going to get out of it is a big question and people really Is the city start. manager on top of this? Is the mayor on top of this? No. Okay. All right. Mike Murphy of Comobuzz, C-O-M-O-B-U-Z dot com. I'm going to have you on here in a couple weeks, and we're going to talk more about the city utility mess because it is a mess. We appreciate you joining us. Uh, uh, Thank you for the good work you're doing for our community. This is Fred Perry signing off for the CEO Roundtable. We'll see you next weekend. This is 93.9 The Eagle. This city is my city, and I love it. Yeah, I love it.